so as I'm making prayer announcements, my phone is ringing. It is on silent. It was the alarm company at our house. Our alarm was going off. I was telling you about Matt Savage. Well, his mother was at Fort Benning clearing his apartment out. And she comes back to our house and the alarm's on and she forget, forgot the code. And so she was scared to death the police were going to come to our house. So Jeannie got up and ran away and that's what she was doing. And so interesting way to start your day. And then I have a neighbor that's here. I'm not going to point her out, but I have a neighbor that's here. And so I better practice what I preach, you know it, because she sees me all the time. And so the pressure's on to me today. I don't fly very often. Any frequent flyers in the room? Oh, too, oh, sorry. Ever had a bag lost? Anybody? Oh, yeah, some, oh, too many of you. Before the days of airplanes, when trains were how people got across this country, Mark Twain tells a story. Now, you have to consider the, store, the source Mark Twain telling a story, it could be embellished a tad. But he had his briefcase with him, and it was precious to him. Filled with papers and letters and what he was currently working on. And he really wanted to keep it with him, but there was no room on the train. And the conductor went and got a baggage handler, and Mark Twain handed it reluctantly to the baggage handler. And says, now, this is really precious to me. Are you going to be able to take care of it? It's probably not a good idea to tick off your baggage handler saying you can't do your job. And so the baggage handler took the bag and beat it on the train four or five times. And he looked at Mark Twain and he said, uh, that's what it's going to get in Philadelphia. Then he threw it on the ground and started to stomp on it. The seams started to come apart. Papers started to feel out. And he said, that's what it'll get in Sioux City. If you're going any further than Sioux City, I'd carry that bag myself. <laughs> Evidently, I like the story better than most of you, but... <laughs> have you ever felt like Mark Twain's briefcase? Oh, now you understand, don't you? Now you get why I told the silly story. You ever felt that way? Just beat up. Just beat up. The Apostle Paul sure did. And he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Let's pray together. Father, help that word to help us because sometimes life beats us up. And when things like that happens, when we get beat up, sometimes our attitudes, well, they can stink. Help us, Lord, to have the right kind of attitude no matter what. Speak to us today as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul wrote those words about life, that yeah, we're afflicted in all sorts of ways, but 
I'm not going to let it crush me, he says. We're perplexed, but I won't be in despair. We're persecuted, and he was, but never forsaken. God's always there. We're struck down, but not destroyed, is what Paul said. And Paul knew what he was talking about, about feeling like the briefcase of Mark Twain, because he'd been in jail wrongly. He'd survived a shipwreck. He'd been snake bit. He'd been beaten by angry mobs. He'd been lied about. And all the things that happened to him, he could have turned sour or angry or bitter. Do you know anybody that has turned sour or angry or bitter? Yeah. But not Paul. He always had an attitude that this might happen, but I've got something better. This might happen, but God's going to take care of me. If you ever watch on the news survivors of natural disasters, whether it's a flood or a fire or a tornado, hurricane, you'll see the people they interview fall into two categories. And the categories are determined by their attitudes. The two groups are the grateful and the ungrateful. And you've noticed this before. The grateful, when the camera hits them, say things like, you know, we've lost all of our stuff, but we're alive. You notice that? And God will take care of us. We'll be okay. And you see that on the news. And then the camera finds the other group with the wrong attitude. And they say, everything is gone. I don't know what we're going to do. How could God do this to us? You ever seen that? It's interesting. They go through the same event. Yet their attitude determines how they're going to process it. And how they're going to live. And we've seen both. Today, I want us to look at a formula given by Paul for a great attitude, and God certainly gave it to Paul, but it's in verse 7. It's right before we just read verses 8 and 9. This is verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and Paul says this, we have this treasure in clay jars so that may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Let me read it again. We have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Obviously in this Paul is talking about me and you being the clay jar because we're fragile and we can be fragile. Easily broken and we can be. But then Paul says But in that fragile body, we've got this treasure. And the key to what's going on here is Paul is remembering the treasure and not the jar. And there's a huge difference when you do that. The treasure is referring to Jesus Christ in our lives. And Paul is saying he should get all of the credit when you're talking about me and how well I'm doing and I'm surviving shipwrecks and snake bites and beatings and tortures. Don't say what a great guy Paul is. Say how awesome God is to be able to use somebody like Paul. That's what's going on here. Because Paul's belief in Jesus made him able to have a great attitude regardless of circumstance. And he gives credit where credit is due. We have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Paul is praising God even through tough, tough times. 
And he's really saying, when we shine in the darkness, it's God shining through us. That comes from verse 6, by the way. We're going backwards. We've done 8 and 9. We've done 7. Look what 6 says. For it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So as Christians, there should be a light shining in our hearts. And that light should shine in our hearts to help us see things in the proper perspective. It makes all the difference in the world when that light helps us see situations going on. Let me tell you how this sermon started. It was last Sunday after homecoming. We were cleaning up the mess. And I was putting some tables up. And I noticed some of the tables had gotten scratched. And some of them might have had crayon or paint on them. And these were new, good-looking white tables, and now they're scratched up with crayon and paint on them. I had a choice of which way to go, didn't I? I really did have a choice about, you know, I can't believe we don't take better care of these things. These things cost a lot of money. And, how and before I could do that, God starts to go, hey, knucklehead, stop it. The crayon likely came from Bible school. And should I be happy about Bible school? Absolutely. If they'd have taken a crayon and run down the hall, well, maybe not that. But anyway, <laughs> I should be happy that they're being used. There's a door downstairs on the first level. Where's that door? Right here. And it breaks all the time. And I get called, sometimes the pastor is the maintenance man as well, and I will get called to go and work on the door. And every time I go to work on that door, God impresses on me, David, be thankful that door is being used. And that's the attitude I have to choose to have. But that attitude doesn't come immediately in our lives, does it? It takes a while for us to get it. I am an obnoxious grandfather. I really am. But I don't suppose I can hold a candle to my brother Don. <laughs> Don's two boys, Jonathan and Jordan, grown parents of their own now. But if Jonathan and Jordan would have jumped on the bed when they were little, it would have been shoot first, ask questions later. Don't jump on the bed. You know better than jumping on the bed. I bought that bed. You're going to hurt yourself. Get down. And I'm cleaning up exactly what he would have said. <laughs> and now if the grandchildren want to jump on the bed. <laughs> am I, is this true? He'll hold their hand. <laughs> he will get a video camera and video the kid jumping on the bed. Why didn't we do that with our children? I come home sometime, and Jackson and Annabelle are coming next weekend, by the way. And I'll come home, and the, the den will be just littered with Legos and Lincoln Logs, and everything will be everywhere. And I prefer that to a clean den. If I start complaining about the rooms being messed up, Something's wrong with me because that means the kids are there. 
And that is a wonderful thing. And it's all about our attitudes, isn't it? I've preached this sermon before. I talked about that. And I've had kids go home and tell the parents, see, the preacher says I can have a messy room. That's not really what I'm trying to say, but it's the way we process things. But Paul here in 2 Corinthians is talking about real problems, isn't he? He's not talking about Legos and crayons and messy tables and broken doors. He's talking about real life. Remember how we began verses 8 and 9? We are afflicted in every other way. That's more than Legos, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. That's more than messes. Persecuted, but not forsaken. That's more than locks. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's more than anything I've mentioned. These are real, dangerous, health-harming, life-and-death issues. Let me share this. If we let the light shine in the little things, it's going to shine in the big things. If we don't let the light shine in the little things, it will never shine in the big things. Does that make sense? We have to have this attitude all the time. I heard a story about a 24-year-old man who had to have one of his legs amputated. He was very angry and very bitter. And During his time of recovery, he became a Christian. And he began, his attitude changed. And he began to visit other people in the hospital and in the rehab center where he learn to function. And one day he went into a room of a young woman that was depressed from her situation and he tried to talk to her but she wouldn't listen. She turned the radio on so it would drown out anything he said. So he just thought, well, I'll take my leg off and dance to the music she plays. So he takes off his prosthetic leg and begins to hop around the room and dance. And for the first time, and they don't know how long, the woman began to smile. And then she began to laugh. And she said, finally, if you can dance, I can sing. And she did. When the young man was discharged from rehab, the doctor was looking at some of the things that he had done over the months that he was there that included art therapy. If you've been in art therapy, seen art therapy, it's a big deal and you draw pictures about your feelings. And when he was first in the rehab, he drew a picture of a vase with an ugly jagged crack running down the middle of it. And the crack represented all of his anger and bitterness and disgust that he felt about his life and what was going on. He saw himself as broken and useless and that's what he felt when he drew the picture. So the doctor showed it to him. He said, remember this? And the end said, yes, let me have it back and got a yellow crayon and drew vibrant yellow streamers pouring out of the crack of the vase. And then he said to the doctor, you see here where it's broken? This is where the light can shine through. Isn't that fabulous? Paul would have loved that drawing. And that's exactly what he's saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Sarah Flowers studied hard to be a great actress and she was a rising star and suddenly her health deteriorated and stopped her career dead in its tracks. 
As an invalid, she spent her time writing poems and verse. Her pastor wanted to use one for a collection that he was putting together. The year was 1841. And the verse she wrote became a song, Nearer My God to Thee. Nearer My God to Thee was a pretty big hit song in the 19th and 20th centuries. When President McKinley lay on his deathbed after being shot by an assassin, it said he whispered the words to the hymn. Survivors from the Titanic reported that the ship's band played this hymn as the great ship was sinking. And all of that came about from an attitude of an invalid in the early 1800s who wrote a verse, fragile, perplexed, tough situation, but she had the treasure and she let the light shine. So really our attitudes come about with the question, what are we going to do with this treasure? What are you going to do with it? Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 22 says this, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a downcast spirit dries up the bones. Ain't that the truth? Forgive the English, but isn't that the truth? My new friend Mark, when he came in this morning, I asked, how you doing? And I wrote it down. I'm going to steal his line. He said, I have air. I have clean water. <laughs> That's a pretty good answer, isn't it? I've got air. I've got clean water. My friend Bill McMillan isn't here. Bill usually sits. He's a good Baptist, way towards the back with his wife, Brenda, on this side. We're creatures of habit, aren't we? They're always over there. And Bill has some health issues uh, back deteriorating, has had several surgeries. There's some spots they're finding now. And Bill told me, he said, David, if, if I never have another good day, that's okay. God's been so good to me. Isn't that a great attitude? Hal Bennett had that same attitude. Granny Yvonne has that attitude. You've got that. I, I've never called you Granny Yvonne in my life until I just repeated what Sorry, Leslie, I just jumped in there with that. Well, that's what you say. But a great attitude. Bless you for your attitudes. They make a difference in a dark world, don't they? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for being light in our fragile lives. Thank you, Father, that even when we are afflicted, we will not be crushed. Even when we are perplexed, we will be not driven to despair. Even if we are persecuted, we will never be forsaken. And even when we are struck down, we will not be destroyed. Bless our attitudes this week as we keep that treasure close. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week with your attitudes.